Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Doors up for Think of It, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer you questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yeah. As you know, mm-hmm. Dear Hank and John, it comes out on, on Mondays. And a lot of people are sad about Mondays because all oh, you got to go back to work and then you get a case of the Mondays. Sure. Well, I like to think that Dear Hank and John is like a little bit of an antidote to that. But also, it's important to remember that just two days ago, it was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. A Saturday was a sadder day. Even sadder than. I mean, Saturday. usually I kind of like groan at them, but but you liked that one. That one was that one was great. Now you got to give me your good news, Hank. the The murder rate globally, mm. it's better. Ah. Oh. We're doing a better job of not killing each other. Humanity has it. actually never done this good of a job overall of not killing each other, except for maybe in 2011. We had like a couple years there where we were really mm. crushing it in the field of not killing each other. Uh, and then the Syrian civil war. There's no reason to get into the bad stuff. This is the good news board. Things are, <laughs> it appears based on still somewhat incomplete uh-huh. data that 2018 was an overall less violent year for humans than 2017. So we're headed in the right direction. And I have to say 20, 40, 60, 80, 200, 2000 years ago, all of those years were much worse, way worse. We used to be so much more violent as a species. So that's good. Yeah, I love not murdering, both when I do it and when other people do it. There's not a lot of things I'm as opposed to. I don't like to I don't like to get political on this show, Hank, because mm-hmm. I want to have a big tent. <laughs> I want to bring as many people into the into ZipRecruiter <laughs> yeah. as possible. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, I and and I know that. I know that people feel like, oh, celebrities, they shouldn't have a loud political voice. Like, why do we trust these people to decide, you know, what what kind of issues matter to us? But I'm just going to say it. I am opposed to violent death. 
This first question comes from Gabby, who agrees with you, John. I'm assuming. Gabby says, Dear Hank and John, in a couple of months, my boyfriend Josh is going to be moving in with me. I live in New York City, and he lives a few hours away in upstate New York, but we have a problem. Josh has absolutely zero sense of direction. Yeah. How little is absolute zero? During one visit to New York City, he accidentally walked the wrong direction and didn't realize it for 40 blocks. Why do you even walk 40 blocks in New York City? You just walk past like 18 different subway stations. How do I make sure Josh isn't completely lost every day? Obviously, I can't be with him all the time, and getting a tracker chip seems a little bit extreme. Not too chatty, Gabby. Well, Gabby, two pieces of good news. First off, Josh already has a tracker chip in his pocket called his phone. And so if you just turned on (laughs) Find My Friends, or I think Snapchat has a feature, you can see where Mm -hmm. Josh is at all times. And it's not creepy at all. Lots of people use it. Secondly, in, in that phone, Gabby... This is going to sound crazy when I first tell you about it, is a map of the entire universe. (laughs) John, you can say that, but I've gone to big cities and GPS does not work well because there's all these buildings bouncing the satellite signals around. It's true. And it never knows where I'm going. It's true. And it thinks I'm on a different street than I am. And I have this problem. And like every time I have to walk two blocks, check the thing, see if I'm going the right direction and then turn around and walk those two blocks back. Yeah. So that's the number one thing is you have to check every like block or two to make sure you're going in the right direction. That's how you don't walk in the wrong direction for 40 blocks. I lived Mm -hmm. in New York City for two and a half years. I have absolutely no map in my head, as my mother likes to say. Like when I like like when I was a kid and my parents moved in order for me to get anywhere, the first thing I would do was drive (laughs) from my new house to my old house. (laughs) <laughs> and then this from my old house, story. I could get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but when I lived in Chicago and then and then in New York, it was like a revelation for me. And I realized that the problem when I was a child was not me. The problem was Orlando. Like Chicago mm-hmm. and New York are both cities on grids. So as long as you stay north of 14th Street, Josh, you're going to be fine because – the streets have numbers, for God's sakes. Like the numbers go up, you're going north. The numbers go down, you're going south. And then you can just memorize the few cross streets. There aren't that many of them. And then you can use the park as as a guide too. So it, it does get a lot easier, I think, in a city that's built on a grid. Also, there's maps everywhere, including inside of your pocket, but also like any subway station has a map of where you are and how to get to the other places. I... I live in a small town, and I will say that uh, I regularly, to know where I am, look up to see where the mountain is. Yeah. And that's very convenient to be like, oh, that that way is toward home, because that I see the mountain. When I lived in Chicago, people would always tell me, oh, navigating in Chicago is easy. You just think about where the lake is. And... <laughs> My whole problem is that you I have no idea. Unless I can see the lake with my eyes, I don't know where it is, right? And <laughs> and people would be like, no, no, you just kind of get a feel for where the lake is. I lived in Chicago for seven years. I had no, I never had any idea where the lake was. If you dropped me a mile from my house in the woods, mm-hmm. I would die of exposure. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. No, I mean, um, I like I, I would, it would take me like five days. I would walk- 70 miles in a in like 150 <laughs> just, circles 
yeah. and I would die. Just go in the same circle over and over and then eventually again. I would drink the water of the White River and I would die within minutes. <laughs> God bless Indianapolis. Oh. oh God. We just had we just had a rainstorm the other day and I was down at the river with my children and not to be too graphic, I could smell the sewage that we dumped into the river. Well, that sewage does have a smell, John, and you do dump it into the river. Anyway, this next question comes from Warren, who writes, Dear John and Hank, when I was a kid, I really liked marshmallow peeps. Oh, I can relate to this question, Warren, but not because of my childhood. Now I think they're just fine. Like, I'll eat one or two if they show up at Easter dinner, but I'm not going to eat like 12 and a half of them in one sitting. However, I keep receiving peeps. It's usually only a problem in the spring, but I got like four peeps on a stick in my stocking at Christmas this year. So I'm getting a little (laughs) concerned that it's spreading out of its usual season. How do I tell my loved ones that I'd rather not receive peeps anymore without offending people who've given me peeps over the last few years? Looking a gift peep in the mouth, Lauren. Lauren... This, so there's two questions here. One is peep specific. One is general. And, in, and the general question is like, if you don't do something about this, my answer for you is, is that if you don't do something about this, you will be the person who just has like shelves of peep stuff. Yeah. And th- it happens. People are like, oh, uh, they're into this. And then John... Uh, is a good example of someone who now has a lot, like too many, just even though he uses a lot, uh, bath salts and bath bombs. He just has more than he needs because everybody knows that's a thing about him. My personal supply of bath bombs is such that I could use a bath bomb every bath I take for the rest of my life and still have a lot of bath bombs left over. That's a problem. I have like 43,000 bath bombs. There's a room in my house that's devoted to bath bombs. Lauren, what's going to happen so much. is that like in 20 years, you're going to have the world's largest collection of peeps and peep memorabilia because peeps don't go bad literally ever. And so you're, you're going to become a person who's like in the Guinness Book of World Records for yeah. loving a thing that you don't like. So it's only yeah. going to get worse. You have to say it now. Because imagine saying it in 20 years. Imagine being like, so listen, for the last 25 years when you've given me peeps at Halloween and special tree peeps on Arbor Day and the Christopher Columbus peeps on Columbus Day. I don't like peeps. (laughs) And it's not like John. John at least can start up a lush inside of his house. Yeah. He'll just uh, like open up his basement and be like, look, it's lush. We're doing a clearance. Johnsunusedbathbombs.com. You can go there right now and purchase some high quality (laughs) bath bombs. Uh, But that's that that noted, Lauren, there is now the peep specific portion of your question, which as it happens, Hank and I are experts in because (laughs) way back in 2007, Hank and I made like a series of videos where to punish each other, we forced the other person to eat peeps. And somehow Mm -hmm. there was a, a conclusion made from this by our viewership community that we loved peeps, which was not what we were trying to communicate at all. We were trying to communicate that like, you won't believe... Yeah, that this man is going to eat so many peeps. Exactly. Because they're gross. It, that that was the point. And we... I would estimate conservatively that in the last 11 years, Hank and I have received as presents 1,500 peeps. Yeah, and do you know what I did to, to, to end this, John? I don't. 
I talked a lot about how much I love peanut M&Ms because I legitimately can never have enough peanut M&Ms. Indeed, right now there are none in my house and I am not happy about it. Yeah. And so instead of giving me peeps, people give me peanut M&Ms, which are great. And I also feel as if I have some amount of self-control regarding and don't eat them hand and fist, uh, but but do like them and think that they are good. And so I've, I've shifted to a different interest. Now, it, it may be that you don't have an interest. And, and I also think that the people at Peeps, whoever they are, want this to be a thing and, and also want to expand throughout the year. And I'm like, Peeps, you are, a, you are an Easter time celebratory thing. I'm not going to have a Cadbury cream egg in July. Well, just like I'm not going to have a Peep on Arbor Day. Hank. You know as well as I do how difficult it is to run a business that is wholly dependent upon one holiday. Like so such a high percentage of DFTBA.com's sales happen in the fourth quarter and that causes like stress and weirdness all year round. So if you're peeps and you're basically a, a six week a year business, you've got to be looking at that sweet, sweet Arbor Day money, thinking about all the all the Arbor Day cards that people buy and sell each other, which is weird because that's basically just like made out of trees. So it's rude. Um, and you're <laughs> thinking like, God, we've got to get in on that Arbor Day action. We've got to be a Valentine's Day brand. Like why, 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 why isn't there like a special peeps to celebrate the release of the new season of Game of Thrones, you know? So I understand why they want to expand. You don't want to be an Easter only candy company. Mm-hmm. The problem is... Like, and this is a little bit uncomfortable to talk about because I assume that we have a lot of listeners who work for Peeps, but Peeps are bad. That's the issue. <laughs> like they're not they're not good. John, if you go to Peeps.com, yeah, uh, I don't think it's actually Peeps.com. They, I was, was going to say that that seems like maybe like a website that they didn't didn't get. Like they probably didn't see the web coming. I, yeah, peeps.com takes you to a, uh, a a landing page. No one no one is currently uh, currently operating on peeps.com, though they would like me to know that there I have their opportunities for Christian matchmaking. Uh, but peepsandcompany.com does have the opportunity to buy peeps. And John, if you would like to buy, yeah. wait for it, 240 peeps, mm. it's 40 bucks. Wow. So if I were them... Um, there's also a T-shirt that says, forget Santa, I'm being good for peeps. They're really trying to sell those Christmas peeps. Trying to trying to push it. I mean, it's very strange to me. Like, are they trying to, like, get around the retail partner and be like, no, we don't want that. 240 peeps straight to you, my friends. You can buy one gingerbread peep for 75 cents. And it's in stock right now. I'm going to do it. Oh, I'm going to see if I can buy no. one gingerbread. What's the shipping like? <laughs> Dude, I did it. I did it, John. I'm faster than you because I have autofill forms. Okay. Uh, five to seven business days shipping for my 75 cent peep. $11.42. <laughs> that is the lowest option. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. <laughs> you know the same people who Who's own... in charge of this? I mean, the other... They should hire DFTBA.com. We can have way better rates than that. The weird... <laughs> mm, they look great. I got hungry just looking at it. I'm about to buy 4.5 pounds of those. <laughs> Make the shipping worth it. They're out of stock. <gasps> Boo. I want to know more about this company. Need help? Call us toll free. John, you want to call Peeps and Company? 
John, I'm sorry. I disappeared there for a second because I attempted to call the peeps people. I thought it was going to be a three-way call, but it turned out that it just, it just puts you on hold. First thing that happened is that uh, my, my phone thought that I was calling Quakertown Veterinary Clinic, which was not correct. I don't know why I thought that. Uh, but then they put me on hold and they said that they would were looking forward to talking to me, so I just hung up on them. I mean, what were we going to chat about? That was never that was never going to be. A- I just wanted to. I want to know who owns their company. If it's publicly traded, can I buy stock? That's a great question, actually. So, Lauren, tell your family that you're just not into peeps anymore, but you do love peanut M and M's. John, we got another question. It's from Drea, who asks, Dear Hank and John, last year I joined the Bone Marrow Registry to help someone with cancer. I found out that I am a match. I'm very excited to help a patient, and the procedure is scheduled for the end of the month. There's one problem. I am really nervous. The more I hear about the surgery, the woozier I feel. It's not particularly risky, but I've never stayed in a hospital before, and the first time they took blood samples, I almost passed out. Do you have any hospital tips? Definitely not a doctor. Drea. I totally see how this is a difficult thing, and yet it's a really good and important thing to do, Drea. And so it's one of those things where you're going to have to overcome your fears. But I think sometimes yeah. it helps with that stuff to just hear someone say that what you're doing is awesome. So I want to say that. What you're doing is awesome, yeah. and it gives someone a chance at life. And it's so important to register at the Bone Marrow Registry. It's easy to do. You can Google it right now. They send you the stuff that you need to do. It's please do it. And Drea, I'm, I know this is going to be stressful and a little bit difficult, but it's only going to be a little bit difficult and you're going to be fine. Yeah, I have almost passed out from getting needle pokes before. Um, and and then uh, it turned out that I had to get a lot of those. Um, and I have had, you know, probably three figures of them by this point in my life. And uh, yeah. And now they're not a big deal for me and, and definitely used to be scary. Definitely used to be something that I dreaded and that, um, and even, and, and like, to be clear, even now, sometimes like I won't have had enough food that day or something. And like, I'll be like, I need to go sit in the special chair and they'll take me to the special chair where I'll sit down. But yeah, it, it is as with many things when you have never done something before and it is a, you know, it's a deal. You uh, you, you will feel woozy about it. You will feel scared about it, and uh, and that is completely normal. But the thing you are doing is super awesome. And on the other side of it, you're going to be really grateful for the opportunity. So that's something I think about as well when I'm stressed out about something. I think about what it's going to feel like on the other side of it. Like this isn't a perfect analog, but I remember when I had the opportunity to drive the pace car for an IndyCar race. <laughs> yeah. I was so yeah. nervous. I was so yep. scared. And I just kept telling myself, you know, when this is over, it's going to have felt really cool to have done this. And, you know, it mostly did. I was still a little stressed <laughs> out. Like, I have. I, how fast does the pace car go? Uh, well, two schools of thought on that. There's how fast the drivers would have liked the pace car to go, which was significantly <laughs> faster than I was driving. And then there was how fast I was driving. So uh, some, Simone Pagino had the poll that day, I recall. And I realize that we've gotten a little bit off your question, Dre, but we'll get back to it. Simone Pagino had the poll, Hank, and he kept like racing right up to my bumper. Like I've never oh been tailgated like that before, except I was being tailgated by like a half million dollar car that goes 240 miles an hour. 
And fortunately, Sarah Fisher was sitting next to me, who's a professional race car driver. And Sarah Fisher just kept saying, you're doing fine. It doesn't matter. This isn't important. (laughs) She was like minimizing it, which is exactly what I needed. She was like, this happens all the time. Simone Pagano is an aggressive driver. That's why he's so successful. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going to be like that, Dre. You're just you're just driving a pace lap. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is actually brought to you by Simone Pagano. Simone Pagano. I know nothing about this person. I'm guessing he is French. Oh, he's like one of my top five <laughs> favorite IndyCar drivers. He's great. Oh, he's such a cool guy, too. He's really he's a cool guy in real life as well. Today's podcast is also brought to you, of course, by driving to your old house from your new house. It's a surefire navigation technique. It's also brought to you by the Discount Lush uh, store in John's basement, available with mostly glittery bath bombs that John doesn't want to use because he is not fully in touch with his glitter side. It's not that I'm not in touch with my glitter side. It's that I don't want to be... <laughs> Head to toe glitter all the time. <laughs> or, I, I don't like. I don't like think that's leaking glitter all over your home and car and and workplaces. Yeah, I I genuinely don't think there are a lot of people who want to like have a, leave a glitter trail the way like a slug does. Like I, I don't think <laughs> that there are that many glitter files out there. And lastly, today's podcast is brought to you by giftoflife.org, where you can go right now and register uh, to become a bone marrow donor. Uh, They'll send you a kit, or you can get swabbed at a donor drive. Nice. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it. So it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. 
This next question comes from TJ, who asks, Dear Hank and John, please explain the phenomena that occurs when the second I finish applying mascara to my eyelashes, I immediately have to sneeze. This is particularly irritating as my mascara is still wet, and if I close my eyes abruptly to sneeze, I will get mascara smeared all around my eyes. I usually hold my eyelids open with my fingers while I sneeze, and I often get made fun of by my boyfriend for it. Pumpkins and penguins, TJ. First of all, your boyfriend can go suck on a shoe, because come on, you are working hard for this mascara and that that work should be appreciated so there is an actual reason for this hank this is a real this is a real phenomenon tj is not alone oh, yeah. in this experience so mm-hmm. at at the place where the eyelashes connect to the eyelids there are there are nerve fibers which you probably know if you've ever touched that part of your body um <laughs> yeah, and very those Fibers are, some of them are part of the, I, I don't know how to say this, trigeminal or trigeminal I think it's trigeminal. Nerve, trigeminal nerve. Yeah. And and that's like, it's like, it's essentially a sneezing nerve. I don't want to oversimplify it. <laughs> and I have. Do, do but it wanna... controls like, a, that nerve controls a lot of the things that we right. do. Yeah. It controls biting. It controls smiling and chewing. And uh, it is also involved in our sneezes. Yeah, I mean, so the the situation is that your face has just way too much going on. It's got uh, some of the some of the most uh, dexterous parts of your body, your lips and your tongue. It's got taste sensing and smell sensing and vision sensing and hearing and smelling. It's got it's also very sensitive to touch because we want to protect it because it's it's very important and you know you want to be able to like. Uh, feel things correctly with your lips and know when stuff's getting close to your eyes. And it's just a mess. Like compared to the rest of your body, your face has so much going on. And so the, the, the systems to carry that information around are actually, they get like double and triple used and they're not great because it, and this is why sometimes people sneeze when they eat chocolate. Uh, this is why you sneeze when you get pepper in your nose. It's why you sneeze sometimes when you see a bright light. Um, because your body's like, oh, well, it's better to, to sneeze when you don't have to than to not sneeze when you do have to. So we're just going to say sneeze whenever I get a significant impulse down this nerve. And, uh, and, and there is a bit of a way to potentially combat it, which is to tickle the roof of your mouth with your tongue, which sends a new signal down that nerve and can kind of clear out the sneeze signal. Now, that's not something that is necessarily going to oh, work. I do not like that feeling. Every, yeah, did you try it? <laughs> yeah, it's not no. great. No, boy. Uh, it's not going to work every time. Oh, why is that so weird? <laughs> is there it, something wrong with me? No, it feels really weird. Oh, I think I have a disease. <laughs> oh, it's just that just that you're oh, not, that you're not so used to that feeling. Oh, that is so incredibly unpleasant. Yeah. Just for anybody out there who ever wants to torture me, that's the way to do <laughs> yeah, it. It's really bad. I agree. But it can help you. It can prevent a sneeze. All right. This next question comes from Hector, who writes, Dear John and Hank, a lot of restrooms I've visited have dispensers for both hand soap and hand sanitizer. There's another reason not to have hand mouths. Yeah. <laughs> That's another reason not to have hand mouths is you have to constantly sanitize your hand mouth. Um, does this mean that it's socially acceptable 
to instead of washing your hands, just nope. grab some hand sanitizer nope. on the way out? Or nope. should I be sanitizing nope. after washing my hands in the sink or mm. what? Computers and cones, Hector. I like that Hector's only concerned with what's socially acceptable. <laughs> you know, like, that's not like, Am how I do I get minimize judged? my chances of, of, of being destroyed by norovirus? Instead, it's like, how do I make sure that people in the bathroom aren't looking at me weird? Well, I mean, that is why we make the majority of our decisions, let's be honest. I, you should wash your hands with soap and water. Hand sanitizer is not is not going to do the whole thing. In fact, hand sanitizer doesn't always kill all, like like viruses, for example, are not as good at being killed by hand sanitizer. It depends on the virus, but yeah, that's good advice. I, it is good to wash your hands with soap and water. Hand sanitizer kills a lot of the bacteria and viruses that spread disease, but certainly not all of them. And also a lot of the fecal stuff, which is how a lot of diseases mm-hmm. happen, mm-hmm. Uh, aren't killed by hand sanitizer. Like C. diff, for instance, is not killed by hand sanitizer. Oh, so bummer. wash your hands and yeah. uh, also use hand sanitizer or 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 don't. <laughs> it, honestly, Hector, we're talking – I mean, we're all probably – Realistically, we're all we're 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 all gonna die in the global <laughs> pandemic that's coming. Hand like hand washing matters for pandemics. It really does. And oh, and washing I mean, your I, hands with like and, and washing your fingertips and then drying your hands also is important and making sure you don't wash out walk out of the bathroom and touch stuff with your wet hands, which then yeah. gets all the stuff to stick to you immediately, is also important. And it takes a little time, but like in this world we're living in right now, we should be taking a little more time to just do something and not and be like, I am a little bit, just the slightest bit bored right now because we need some space for that. I, I've been trying to make more space for boredom because my, my immediate, imp- I, I know we're talking about hand sanitizer right now, but my immediate impulse at every moment is to be like, I should turn on that podcast or that audiobook, And I need to just like have some space in my life and not feel like I need to optimize every single moment and be like, sometimes I'm optimizing this moment by doing a physical thing of washing my hands to hopefully present, prevent myself and others from getting diseases. Yeah, I agree with you about the obsession with optimization. It's almost like a religious thing at this point where Ugh. people think the point of life is to be productive yeah. or to maximize productivity, especially to maximize this one particular kind of productivity, mm-hmm. economic productivity, yep. which I find really like disturbing that this has become this huge obsession of the species as if we exist to feed markets. Uh since I quit the internet, I get bored a lot more often, and it is an unpleasant experience, and that's why we have built all of these tools to minimize the amount of time we spend bored. Like, boredom is not fun, but boredom is also, for me at least, like part of how I experience thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get to have my own thoughts if I don't let myself become a little bored. That's why we have so many thoughts in the shower. It's why we have so many thoughts wh- when we're trying to go to sleep at night mm-hmm. is because those are, the, those are the quiet times in our lives. And for me, at least, like, if I, if I make more of those quiet times during the day, I feel less, like, assaulted by thoughts at the end of the day. 
Thanks for uh, taking on my question there, John, and talking to me a little bit about the thing I wanted to talk about, even though we were talking about washing your hands. Everybody wash your hands. On the other hand, Hector, I mean, you're probably going to get norovirus anyway. God knows I got it. (laughs) No, just Hector, decrease human suffering through hand washing. Decrease human suffering through hand washing is actually a great social campaign. Uh, not uh, Not like on Twitter or whatever, but in terms of like changing social mores around hand washing like that's a really simple way of putting it where you're just like hey do you want to decrease the overall worldwide level of suffering right now spend an extra 10 seconds washing your hands boom this next question comes from robin who writes dear john and hank i really want to start my own business but i can't shake the constant feeling that so many other people already do what i want to do and do it better than i could Mm. how do i push past that and motivate myself to try my idea anyway or should i just give up any advice is appreciated not batman robin it actually says na 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 batman robin Oh, I just got that joke. Like, no, 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 Not Batman, Robin. Yeah, it's real good. That's good. It's a good name-specific sign-off, Robin. Maybe you should start a name-specific sign-off business. Well, I mean, definitely the thing you've come to Hank and John to hear is, give up, Robin. Just give up on all your dreams. Well, sometimes you should give up. Sure. But probably not in this case. Probably not right at the beginning. I feel like Hank is the perfect person to give you advice on this because Hank has started so many businesses where he wasn't the first person to have the idea and he wasn't the best person to have the idea, (laughs) but he was the most persistent person to have the idea. (laughs) Like there's this um, phenomenon in early human history called persistence hunting, where the way that humans would kill their prey wasn't by being faster or stronger. It was just by not quitting. And so (laughs) like an antelope can run for two hours, but a human will jog for four hours. And then eventually the antelope will have to be like, I'm tired. And the human will be like, I will kill you now. (laughs) That's the Hank Green strategy for making businesses. I don't know that that's true. You're a persistence hunter. It's the greatest compliment I can give you. My favorite thing about human beings is that we don't quit. All right. Uh, I, I will appreciate it. Um, and uh, and, and I will say that, like, one, there are a whole lot of businesses where lots of people do the business. Like, every yeah. hair salon is a different business, um, unless it's, a, like, a chain. But most of them aren't. And, like, every pizza, like, there are lots of pizza places, lots of restaurants, and they're all different businesses, but they are all run somewhat similarly, and they all rely on someone to be at the helm of that business and to learn how to do it and to do the work, which is hard work and to be persistent and and to figure out ways to make it work. The other thing I'd say about that is that when you're deeply involved in a world, you often feel like you're not the first person to be in that world mm-hmm. or like the world is already saturated, but in fact, the world is very new and it's about to get much, much bigger. Like when Hank and I started making YouTube videos, I, in 2007, I was like, oh, I mean, we're, we're too late. Like we just, mm-hmm. we got here too late. There are too many people making too many YouTube videos. And now when people talk to us about how we built our business, they're always like, well, I mean, the genius was that you started at the very beginning. <laughs> and and also, even if it's something that's been around for a long time, it's all, like these things are always changing and they always yeah. need new people entering into them to to like change things up and to have business adjust for, you know, the 2019 world. And 
the a nice thing about entering into something where there's other people doing it is that maybe you can talk to some of those people and ask them some of their difficulties and you don't have to completely reinvent the wheel. So, you know, like I wish I had more specifics on what you were getting into, Robin, but uh, but there's nothing good for your resume like trying to start a business because you are going to learn a lot in that process and there is a lot to learn. Yeah, I think one of the problems with the way that we sometimes imagine business is we see it as a thing that geniuses make. Yeah. And we build that up a lot in our conversations about how companies get founded. Like we talk about founders and CEOs, like they're these special people with special talents or whatever. And I think that's the wrong way to think about how stuff gets made, not just in terms of businesses, but we also have the same way of talking about art. We have the same way of talking about podcasts. We have the same way of talking about everything, as if it's so individualistic. But the truth is that, and I've made this metaphor before, but to me, it's much more like we're all painting a ball of paint together, and you add your coat, and your coat is hopefully helpful and useful and beautiful and interesting. And it makes other people be like, oh, yeah, right. No, that's interesting. I could also paint this ball of paint. And I, I, I think that when you think about starting a business as like trying to inhabit this role of CEO or founder, it, it's, it, it's too intimidating from the start. But if you think about it as being part of a big, sprawling, like global, human-wide collaboration, it becomes both more fun and more possible. I want to go to, to John Green Business School. That was fun. I like that. <laughs> yeah, the John Green Business School. Let's not get too big. <laughs> I like it. I think that's important. That's my only, my only input. Every every meeting we have, I'm just like, well, but not if we have to hire someone. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like uh, one step closer to too big. Yeah, like I want to know everybody's name. That's I. I just that's my rule. Mm-hmm. I feel that. I want to actually, it's more than that. I want to know the name of everybody's dog. I feel like as long as I know the name of everybody's pet who's in the office, things are cool. But when we get to a point where I don't know the names of your pets, I don't, I, it's too big. It's too big. I mean, there are people in this town, I know their names, there are dogs, and I don't know their names. I, I mean, that's astonishing to me only because that means that there's someone in Missoula you don't know by name. John, is it time for one more question before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon? Well, it, it really is because the news from AFC Wimbledon is going to happen live. We have like 40 <laughs> so, minutes until the news from AFC Wimbledon. Um, so you can talk as long as you'd like. That's terrible. We're going to have to like do this week in Ryan's and come back? Uh, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it, it takes as long as it takes. Hank, let's answer one more question before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, we got a question from Caroline. She asks, Dear Hank and John, This coming fall, I'm moving to college and I will not have a car. But I have never used a public bus and I have no idea how to use one. I'm excited about reducing my carbon footprint, but nervous about doing something wrong. Sweetly, Caroline, why do I have this fear of getting on a bus in a new city? I'm always terrified. I think it's because you don't know the system and you assume that because you don't know the system, if you do something wrong, you'll be arrested. I, I feel the same way. 
it's like I'm I, I'm worried that I'm going to be found out as a tourist, but I am a tourist, right? Like I remember when I was right. in Amsterdam, every time I would get on oh, God. the tram, I would just be sweating bullets, and I'd be like, "Oh God, they're going to know, they're going to know." And then I'd I'd have Henry with me, and Henry, at the time, he only said one word, and the word was "hi," but he said it all the time and to everyone. So we'd yeah. be on the tram, and Henry would be like, "Hi, hi, hi." Hi. Hello. Hi. 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 And I'd be like, Henry, you're giving us away. <laughs> they know. And all the all the Dutch people are like, oh, my God, that's adorable. In English, because they all speak perfect English. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the occasions when I would try to speak Dutch to someone, they would mostly just look at me blankly for a few seconds. And then they would either respond to me in English or they would say, "Of Deutsch, which means, are you German? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Which, um, yeah, I, not to like generalize, but is not a compliment in the Netherlands. I thought, I'm not worried about getting arrested, and I'm often not worried about getting found out. I'm just worried about like inconveniencing people. Like it's this, it's this thing that sh- seems like it should be so smooth. Like you get on the bus, you do the thing, and you're good. Right. And the bus needs to get to its next place. Like it, it doesn't. The bus driver isn't there to explain to me how the bus works. Put yourself in the position of the other passengers, Hank. Like, the other passengers are not going to be like, oh, this new person, I hate them. They're going to be like, oh, it's a new person. Like, they're figuring out how to use the bus. Like, you would never sit sitting on the bus of a system you know how to use well. You'd never look at a new person and be like, boo. You just wouldn't, right? And if anybody does, right. that's on them, not on you. Yeah, it's like, oh, did you know everything the moment you were born? Yeah. Bus person? Yeah. Yeah. Like we have to give each other room to grow and learn. By the way, this is not only about buses. <laughs> <laughs> like like when people learn stuff, you have to give them credit for for being on that journey and not ask them to like, you know, arrive out of the birth canal enlightened. I suppose. Um but the uh in, in answer to Caroline, your more specific questions, which I skipped over, I don't know. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be different in your place than it is in my place. It'll it'll be hard the first couple times you do it, but as we were talking about earlier, the more you do something, the more comfortable you get doing it, and then it feels routine. And within a week, you're gonna stop worrying about getting arrested for improperly. <laughs> getting on the bus and you're going to feel like an old hat in the field of bus usership. And, uh, and, and in response to one of your specific questions, yes, you can bring snacks. It, uh, that depends on the bus system, I think. <gasps> Does it really? I've always, I've never been on a bus where I can't have a snack. When I lived in New York City and I would be on a very, very crowded subway car and there would be someone standing there with food with like a breakfast burrito. Yeah. And like something that especially something drippy, you know? Yeah. And I was just I would just be like, man, that is really like I can really smell that breakfast burrito really intensely and I've got enough smells coming in to my <laughs> smell system already. So I don't know. It's you it's get, a complicated bunch of nerves. I wouldn't bring a snack on my first bus ride. Okay. Or at least I I put it in your backpack and get get a vibe. Be like are those people eating snacks? Those people eating snacks? Maybe even ask the bus driver, like, what's the policy on snacks around here? Yeah. You want you want one? I got two bags of Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick. What's the news from Mars? 
in news from Mars, uh, SpaceX is is designing and building the, its uh, its Starship, which is what they're calling what was previously called the Big Falcon rocket or BFR. It is uh, basically the thing that's going to, in Elon Musk's vision, take humans to Mars. And SpaceX has is putting together this. Uh, I don't know if it's a little rickety looking, just a little bit. Um, it's it's the 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 renders of it were much nicer than what it looks like in real life, which is just like it's covered in tin foil, kind of. But they they think hopefully that this thing will be testing itself uh, within uh, a fairly short time span, which is great. Uh, they they want this rocket rocket to be the rocket that uh, that takes people to Mars, but also to other places in the solar system and also to Earth. Elon Musk, you know, n- noted for sustainable transportation, is also interested in using this thing to get people from like New York to Hong Kong in two hours, which would be probably the least sustainable form of transportation ever. <laughs> but uh, but it is, you know, people will buy tickets for that, I bet. Uh, if they, instead of getting in a plane, they get in a space rocket that shoots them into space, <laughs> probably be an exciting experience. Uh, I don't know that I would sign up for it, especially because of how much I imagine it will cost. But I wouldn't sign um, up for it for like the first 30 years of the technology. <laughs> That's how I wish I had treated iPhones. You know? Yeah. I wish I'd been like, yeah, I'll get in I'll get into this in thirty years. Right. Yeah, I will I will uh I will wait in slowly. But it looks like uh it looks like quite an impressive an impressive thing and uh and I am kind of amazed to see it coming together. Um and uh it is a you know, it's sort of like the t- a test version construction and uh and it is a important part of this process and and uh, having test flights beginning in in the realm of months would be a big deal for uh for you know my goal of getting humans to Mars by 2028. I love my odds. I also love your odds. <laughs> Live reporting on bbcsport.com <laughs> from Tom Rostens 1647 Barnet are the only non-league side left. That means that the only team out of the top four leagues are, and there are 14 Premier League sides still in. Right. Here go the balls into the hat. It's happening. All right. Oh, 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 we got the first. It's AFC Wimbledon. We it, we were picked first. We were picked first out of the hat. It's it's West Ham. West Ham United. It's Rosiana's team. It's AFC Wimbledon versus West Ham. A, that's It's not the best draw. But it's also not the worst draw. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be hopeful. And congratulations to Rosiana, who will get to see her two teams uh, play each other, which is always a painful, strange, wonderful thing. Uh, I think I'm gonna go break her the news now. All right, Hank. Well, thank you for potting with me, and thanks to everybody for listening. We're off now to record our Patreon-only podcast over at Patreon.com/slash Dear Hank and John. It's the worst podcast you'll ever listen to. It's called This Week in Ryan's. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals, Rojas, and Sheridan Gibson. And our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. You can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who sent in such great and thought-provoking questions. It's always a pleasure to talk with my brother about them and uh, the music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola and as they say in our hometown don't don't forget forget to be awesome. awesome